Guess what? Stomp Tokyo Cult Movies Podcast time again. Episode 11? 11, yes. 11. Double digits. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. And we're here to talk about things weird and wonderful for another, let's let's call it an hour. Maybe we'll hit an hour. Probably not. But uh, this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger Memorial episode. Oh, as God. you know, as you know from Twitter, Mr. Schwarzenegger died in a snowboarding accident last week. Yeah, I still want to know. While being stung by wasps on the way down, apparently. I still want to know who you follow that that you're constantly being barraged with death rumors. No, oh, well, you know, sometimes I go to my saved searches, and right below my saved searches are trending. And, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was trending. And I'm like, what's up with Arnold Schwarzenegger? And apparently it was because first I saw the Stung by Wasps thing, which I think was a friend of mine's joke. And then I don't know what he has about wasps or whatever. And then looking at more of the trending stuff, it was about him having died in a snowboarding accident, which was a hoax, of course. This should actually be the Ralph McQuarrie Memorial episode. Yes, because uh, he did. We'll, he died last night. Yes, 82 years old, uh, and having contributed to the, uh, you know, fundamental images of the psyches of hundreds of, you know, now 30-something boys and girls, I think the man lived a full life. Yeah, I mean, we should mention he was the concept designer on Star Wars. Um, is probably what he's he's best known for. Um, that when George Lucas was trying to shop the, the the movie around, he, you know, made these very kind of photorealistic paintings that gave, you know, uh, investors an idea of what the movie was going to look like, because there was nothing like Star Wars before Star Wars. That is correct. Yeah. And. Uh... What's cool about these is that they're all done. I mean, Macquarie did a ton of uh, sci-fi book covers, right? Paperback, you know, high concept, freaky art stuff. And I like the sort of 60s, 70s vibe that these have. Uh, Much more, I think, artistic than Star Wars actually ended up looking. Yeah. You know, I mean, Star Wars was grungy and photorealistic and, and everything we know Star Wars to be. These have a slightly more ethereal quality to them, um, which I like. Yeah. I mean, he also did uh, concept art for Battlestar Galactica and helped design the uh, the mothership in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And uh, when you look through a lot of his work, you'll notice that that whole kind of round flying saucer shape features in a lot of his work. He, he apparently really liked that. Uh, well, he did a lot of this, the concepts for for Star Trek too, as well, right? Um, I'm not sure about Star Trek. If you look at, uh, you know, if you Google the images for Ralph McQuarrie Star Trek, you'll see uh, a number of concept art stuff. For I mean, I don't think he came up with the the Enterprise design or anything. Oh yeah, but he definitely so... contributed. You know, to some of the the movie stuff when they were looking for doing movies in the 70s. I'm looking at these pictures. I think these are all from uh, Star Trek Phase Phase 2, I think it was going to be called, the TV series that eventually became the movie. Yep. So, yeah, I think that's what he must have worked on. Neat. 
Yeah. Anyway, you know, his art also reminds me. I don't know if he did the art for the, the Star Trek novelizations, but it's very similar. Yeah. I mean, he, him and Boris Vallejo and uh, Frank Frazetta, they were all kind of in the same zone there for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, with that kind of, as you say, kind of ethereal yet realistic looking uh, uh, style, I guess. Yeah. And when I say novelizations, I mean the novels, the James Blish novelizations of the original series, not, you know, not the hundreds and millions of Star Trek books that came out thereafter. You mean the ones that were called Star Trek Log, I think? No, 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 no. They were just called Star Trek. And it was like Star Trek 1, Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, you know, but then in each each book was like, I don't know, five or six episodes, maybe. Um, but they're they're all the. I mean, James Blish only did these books, and Spock must die. So if, if you've got your hands on a James Blish Star Trek book, you're looking at the, you know, gotcha. You're looking at one. Oh, how's that for a digression? Yeah, that's pretty digressy. Did you ever read Spock Must Die? I don't think so. Oh man, was it terrible? <laughs> <laughs> Why did Spock have to die? Um. God, it's been forever. I want to say that he was split into two people. I'm pretty sure this was the one. Like, Spock was through a transporter accident. Oh, God, this is all coming back to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. Like, my enthusiasm for Star Trek has definitely waned over the years. Um, But I do know an embarrassingly high amount of stuff about the old Star Trek. Uh, anyway, so Spock in a transporter accident was split into two people. He, his human side and his Vulcan side. And I don't know. Um, the, as I recall, he keeps it a secret and his human side, you know, is on duty half the time and his Vulcan side is on duty the other half the time. And it's, it's a sort of a mystery novel where I think it's, some combination of McCoy and Kirk discovering that there are in fact two Spocks and I mean I'm pretty sure that's that's Spock must die. Maybe it was another one, but I'm pretty sure that's the one. It sounds needlessly complicated. It is needlessly complicated and and probably the the reason that James Blush only got to do one book. At least I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, now I have to go Wikipedia James Blish and find out. Anyway, uh, well, yeah, just doing the Google search, I don't see anything other than the with the ones you're talking about, the Star right. Trek, I guess the I guess the Star Trek logs must have been the animated series then. Quite possibly, um, and the, it looks like to me these covers are Boris Vallejo. I think would be my guess. Uh, there were a couple of um, a couple of books after this that I thought were quite good. The Star Trek New Voyages series. Did you ever read those? Uh, which one are the New Voyages? I don't remember. Um, it, it was it was like only there were two books. It was Star Trek New Voyages and Star Trek New Voyages Two, um, and they were a, a series of short stories by various sci-fi authors. Um, gotcha. And I think this this is before the whole explosion of you know, before the movies when when the the fiction market for Star Trek exploded. Yeah, um, and these were all high concept, very hard sci-fi. Um, short stories in the set in the Star Trek universe. Uh, they were, were pretty cool. At any rate, um, 
one thing I wanted to mention about Spock Must Die, and I can't believe we went from Ralph McCord to Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to mention about Spock Must Die is that Blish threw in a bunch of um, personality quirks uh, for the characters that didn't exist in the series. Uh, one that I particularly remember was that he said that Scotty, uh, his, his brogue disappeared whenever he was speaking technobabble. So whenever he talked about something, you know, whenever we talked about the warp nacelles or whatever and, and went into a technical explanation, his, you know, his Scott's brogue would, would decrease dramatically. Uh, I don't know why that stuck with me, but I just thought it was something weird you know, to do after the fact to a character. Yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I guess it, it's tough to, to kind of go back to that time when, you know, Star Trek just didn't exist, you know, from 1969 to 1978, you know, Star Trek was wide open. Yeah. You know, no one was doing anything with Star Trek except for those few books. So I, I guess that must have been his way to try to advance things a little. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Blish obviously had a blast doing the novelizations, and I think he was just happy to get the chance to, you know, write a full-length adventure. Well, you know what that reminds me of? Um, you know, speaking of, of going way off script like that, more or less. Um, have you ever read the uh, the Star Wars novel? Uh, the first Star Wars novel? Uh, what was it Did called? What you mean by first? Well, it, it was uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. You know, I think I have. Or, you know, maybe I uh, heard the audiobook. At any rate, I'm familiar with it, yes. Yeah. Um, where... Alan Dean Foster did it, and it came. It was, you know, essentially the first original piece of Star Wars fiction after the movie. Um, but you know, it doesn't really fit very well into into Star Wars continuity because the entire time, I mean, it only features Luke and Leia and Darth Vader, and Luke and Leia spend the entire time hitting on each other, uh, which is awesome. creepy and creepy and weird creepy and weird awesome <laughs> just creepy and weird thank you um you know the the interesting thing i thought about that novel that i found out fairly recently is that originally it was intended to be a the treatment for the star wars sequel that if star wars hadn't made a ton of money lucas needed to make a sequel the way that sequels were usually made to movies in the 1970s you know back then it was generally considered that if you bothered to do a sequel to a movie um you would spend about it would only make about 80 80 percent of what the original made so you obviously you wouldn't spend as much money making a sequel so lucas was getting ready in case the worst happened that he was only able to produce a cheap sequel and that's what's Splinter of the Mind's Eye was. That's why it only featured Luke and Leia because uh, Harrison Ford wasn't in contract. Um, it, you know, it takes place in a uh, in a uh, essentially a, a swamp planet with lots of mist, so there would be minimal sets. There are no space battles. None, nothing that would be too expensive. It 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 all takes place on the planet, 
And I just thought that was that was interesting that that's where that novel came from. But instead, we got awesomeness. Yes, because uh, you know the movie made a ton of money, and George Lucas was basically able to self finance it and spend as much money on the sequels as he wanted, um, which was you know a real a real change from the ways thing, things have been done. Uh, which actually is kind of a, a, a segue into uh, this other thing we were going to talk about, the uh, Total Recall sequel. Yes. Uh, um, this frightens me. I, I read the whole. I read the whole thing. Scott. <laughs> well, I mean, th- this it's what what we're talking about is uh, Io Nine ran an excerpt from a book, and the book is called Development Hell. Is that correct? Yes. By who's it by? Uh, David Hughes. Our Tales from Development Hell, the greatest movies never made by David Hughes. Which uh, I'm going to take a break here and say we're going to link to that in the show notes. Uh, the show notes, which you can find at cultmoviespodcast.com. And this is episode number 11. Yes. And and I will say that the uh, the, the book looks fascinating. Um, I, I believe it's out now. So um, I can, uh, I want to get my hands on it. Um, and so the, the excerpt here is kind of uh, about the Total Recall sequels that were that were proposed in the early 1990s. Um, and they're, they're, they're pretty interesting. I mean, the main thing which seemed to, to keep them from getting made was that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger just didn't want to do it. Um, apparently, the story goes that Schwarzenegger didn't even, didn't understand Total Recall, didn't understand why it was such a big hit. And therefore, was less inclined to to be in a sequel. It uh, took me like three or four viewings to understand Total Recall myself. So, I'm... <laughs> uh, that's true. But the uh, I, I thought it was interesting that the the first the first attempt to do the sequel is actually based on Minority Report. Um, you know, which was obviously another Philip K. Dick story that was later made into a movie by Steven Spielberg. Um, but the idea would have been that the mutants on Mars would have been the precogs and arnold schwarzenegger's character would have been the founder of of pre-crime uh you know and that's kind of an interesting interesting way to segue those two different stories together i will admit i don't know that it would have been a great movie but there you go um and then the other two versions of the sequel that they that they talk about are really extensions of the whole mind twist uh, theme of the first movie just taken to ridiculous levels and um, I'm kind of okay that they didn't they didn't make these sequels you know the the whole idea of is it real is it not is okay for one movie when I think as the Matrix movies proved that you can't really stretch that out over two or three movies without especially if you're not going to if you're not going to give a uh, a definitive answer to what the heck is going on. Yeah, that, that whole concept of waking up from a dream and the whole previous movie was just a dream. Yes. That, no, screw or that. Or was it? Right. Um, yeah, there's definitely a limit to that sort of thing. Yeah, the the but the book the book looks looks really interesting. I mean, as as the cover says, they've got uh, John Borman's Lord of the Rings, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Ridley Scott's Crisis in the Hot Zone, Frank Miller and Darren Aronofsky's Batman Year One, which was apparently going to star Clint Eastwood as Batman. <laughs> Sorry. 
Um, James Cameron's Fantastic Voyage, Paul Verhoeven's Crusade, which was another one that Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to make. Um, I'm sure that there's there's other movies included in it as well. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading this book. Um, I think they've also got The Planet of the Apes, the various attempts to remake Planet of the Apes before uh, Tim Burton's movie finally took, as unfortunate as that was. Um, yeah, it sounds like it sounds really interesting. We should mention that uh, this is actually the second edition of this book. Is it really? Yeah, um, this is, it came out in two thousand four, and this is the new update edition. So if you're looking for it, um, <clears throat> make sure you get the twenty twelve edition, wow. which is uh, available for about eleven bucks at uh, Amazon on paperback, and it's eight bucks on Kindle. Wow, you know I, I am I'm kind of obsessed with you know horrible train wrecks that didn't have you know any media that didn't that didn't uh didn't happen for whatever reason no and I, yeah i know and i do not know how i missed this book i mean if this book has been out for a while i mean i think this is a much expanded version it, it looks like but uh wow yeah i wanted to read this well now now you can sir yeah neat now you can uh do you have any any favorite movies that uh you wished had been made, but never, never got, got done. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, there definitely were some Godzilla movies that never got made that were, uh-uh. yeah. that were pretty funny. Well, you know, Godzilla versus the Devil was was one that got kicked around for a while. Um, that Toho was constantly announcing. How does that I, work? I I don't know. I don't know what they meant by the devil. Um, apparently, this was around the time that Exorcist came out, so they may have been trying to hop onto that. So what? You've got Godzilla in a priest's collar yelling, <laughs> "The power of Christ compels you." I, I don't think it was quite that literal. I mean, I think that the devil was going to be more of a shapeshifter. Um. And I, you know, I think that they they tried it in the '70s, and then uh, in the in the '80s, before Godzilla '85 came out, they were also talking about that movie. I mean, it, it seems a little a little weird to just say Godzilla versus the devil. I don't know. I can think of a few I wish had never been made. Well, yes. Oh, and then there was the uh, there was actually some talk about there being a, a movie called Godzilla versus Godzilla where it would have been Godzilla versus the ghost of Godzilla. Um, and now you're going to have to explain that now, too, because I don't get that. <laughs> well, I think this was uh, towards the end of the, the Heisei, Heisei movies. Um, instead of Godzilla versus Destroyer, it was going to be Godzilla versus the ghost of the Godzilla that was actually killed by the Oxygen Destroyer in the original Godzilla. So we're kind of assuming that the Godzilla that was in the Heisei movies from Godzilla 85 or Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah on, depending on how you want to treat the time travel storyline, was a different Godzilla than the, than the original Godzilla. If that makes any sense. No, but continue. <laughs> that, that's, about, that's about all I've got. Um, and we've also found out, uh, at least in the English speaking world that there was another Gamera movie that almost got made 
uh, with Gamera fighting a two-headed snake. Um, I can't remember what the name of the the the, the monster the monster was. It hardly matters. Um, but yeah, if the if if uh, the Gamera series hadn't hadn't been uh, scrapped, it, you know, this is what it would have been. Uh, what is it? Uh, Godzilla or Gamera versus Gara Sharp? Um, you know, it would have been another silly Gamera movie, but uh, the studio went bankrupt before it could be made. Well, so they went bankrupt, and I guess they came back because they made movies later. Later, yes, yeah, they went into bankruptcy in the in the early seventies, and then I believe they they came out in the in the late seventies um, and, and kept making movies. Yes. So I got to see the Lorax. Cool. Which so, by now is old news because it came out this last weekend. But I got to see it last weekend before anybody else got to see it. So, <laughs> meh. No, I took Elizabeth to a press screening. Uh, um, I quite liked it. Yeah. Um, you have to sort of divorce yourself from the the controversy surrounding the film. Uh, you know, with the it's being used to sell SUVs and it's got this horrible, you know, the... Republicans hate it because it's got this horrible anti-corporate message and blah blah blah. You know, yeah, I, I love I love how various politicians co- you know co-opt popular culture to make a point. Yes, well, I mean, I almost have to feel that the movie must be doing something right if it's being you know taking fire from both the left and the right. I mean, that's just great. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> well, number one, it's very lively. Uh, it is probably the best. Uh, realization of Seuss's work that I've seen since probably since the Grinch, like the original uh, Grinch Who Stole Christmas cartoon. Yeah. You know, I think people have tried to capture the sort of the spirit and whatever of the books, but this, you know, really feels like those, that's, that's how those birds would fly and that's how those fish would, you know, do whatever. So kudos to the, to the animation team because it's spot on and it's, it's very, very funny. Um, incredibly lush uh, scenery, just really, really neat looking. Um, and the story's not bad. I, I kind of take issue with the fact that it's called the Lorax, and yet the Lorax basically does nothing for the entire movie. Yeah. Um, well, but, I mean, but if you've read the book, that's no surprise. Yeah. I mean, the trailer makes it look like it's more about the kid than the Lorax. It is right. somewhat about the kid. Basically, the the kid who I'm not sure the kid has a name in the original book, but um, and certainly is I don't think is given the motivation of you know falling in love with a, a teenage girl voiced by Taylor Swift. Uh, but the, his story bookends what is basically the meat of the original book. The original book is about you know the the guy who invents the need, which is basically a sweater, and he needs the the trees to make the needs and that's how you know the whole thing gets started um the movie starts after that the kid living in needville where everything is fake finds out about trees from his crush the crush is like if somebody could find me a real tree i'd probably marry that guy on the spot so he on the advice of his grandmother voiced by betty white who is hilarious as you expect betty white to be uh goes out of town on his scooter and finds the guy who's called the Wunzler. I There's a wordplay going on there that I don't get, 
I guess because I'm stupid. Do you understand what the Wetzler is supposed to mean? No, I have no idea. Me neither. Anyway, so if you know and can tell me, please, please do. Uh, anyway, so he finds the Wetzler, voiced by Ed Helms, and then we, you know, we see this the story as told by Ed Helms' character going forward. Meets the Lorax, kills the forest, blah blah blah. Uh, the story is really not what you're there for. It's really all about, number one, the animation, and number two, the musical numbers, which are pretty amazing. Uh, Ed Helms is a fairly musical guy to begin with. Um, if you've ever seen, you know, his character on The Office, he's always sort of, you know, riffing musically and having fun with music and humor and, and whatnot. And he does the same thing here. And just to on a scale that... I don't think we've ever really seen him done before. And if I had any doubts about this guy as a a leading man comically, they're gone now because he's he's amazing in this. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Horton Hears a Who? I have. Um, and, and I thought my brain had was telling me that Ed Helms was in that, but he's not. It's Jim Carrey and uh, the other guy from The Office. Help Steve Carell. Steve Carell, thank you. Uh but Ed Helms would have been perfect in that. And I did like Horton Hears a Who. I just didn't think it was as good. The story was probably stronger, but it didn't look this good. And certainly I, don't, I wasn't as impressed with uh, the voice acting. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I think I'll wait till, till video for this. But uh... I, I don't know that you should, Scott. I mean, really? if, you can go, if you can go see a matinee or something and, and see it on the cheap... It is. It is an amazing looking movie. Okay. Um, it's it's right up. I mean, very different from a uh, a design perspective, you know, from the Pixar movies. But I think every bit is impressive. Cool. Um, and it's in 3D, which I did actually didn't mind. Uh, oh, so you did see it in 3D. I did see it in 3D. Um, you don't really get a choice when you go to these preview screenings. You just sort yeah. of go with it. Go with they throw at you. That's true. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't hate it. And I normally, like, I think animated movies, because they have so much control over the depth of field and what elements are on what plane, you know, that really annoys me a whole lot less. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's also sometimes the difference between good 3D and bad 3D. That's, you know, there have definitely been some bad conversions recently. Um, but I think the movies that, are well done with 3D. It is worth it. Yeah, um, I, I still don't think 3D television is is something I'm going to buy into long term. <laughs> just the I'm idea not sure of, that anybody's going to buy into that long term. But oh, just the idea of having to have glasses on hand. I mean, it's like one more piece of stuff you have to have in order to make television work, right? I mean, yeah. I've got five people over but i've only got four pairs of 3d glasses wong, wong. you know i just i just don't see it apparently uh lindsey lohan did not do well on saturday night live last night okay i'll, I'll take your word for it i didn't see it <laughs> me neither but i pulled up google news and there was the there was the high the headline i mean does anybody do well on on uh Saturday Night Live? I think they do, yes. Mostly comedians, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I'm trying to remember, who was it? 
that was on there last time I tried to watch it. I know that Robin was the musical guest. You got me, man. Um, therefore, easily uh, indicating what I'm going to put underneath this, this this part of us talking. Um, I do not remember... <laughs> Kate, oh, Katy Perry was the uh, was the comp was the acting guest. Right, right. She did her Elmo thing. Yes. Yes. Which uh, was reasonably funny. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh, you know who? I mean, uh, uh, was it last week that Amy Poehler was on? I'm not sure. I didn't. Two weeks ago. I mean, there have been a number of good guests recently. Um, he says running to Hulu to to find out who they are. Um, this this last season did not stink. Um, the question is, you know, uh, why why would they have Lindsay Lohan on? I'm just not sure what the what the impetus is there. You know, well because it'll get them uh, it'll get them uh, headlines. I'm sure. Yeah, I sort of think that uh, Lauren Michaels has. You know, has a soft spot there. I mean, that could just be me, but uh, she's certainly had her her fair share of, of appearances. Even though Emma Stone has her career now. Yes. Oh yeah, Maya Rudolph was on. Daniel Radcliffe wasn't bad. He wasn't great either. Um, but you didn't see it, so you don't know. Yeah, no, no. I I think. Literally, the only episode I've watched in years was the one with with Katy Perry and Robin, and I don't even remember why. That was <laughs> okay. Oh wait, this, are you talking about this past season? Like I think this? So. Yeah, she was on this season, and I guess I missed that. That was pre. That was after her Elmo thing. The Elmo thing was like a year or two ago. Oh, well, I'm trying to remember. I mean, unless you did another Elmo. Out. I don't know. It sounds familiar. I might have seen it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, Jason rem- Siegel. Well, that probably would have been interesting. They bring the, the Muppets. Muppets. They brought the Muppets. Oh, that's good then. Uh, it was actually you should you should see that. I'll I'll put a link to this in the show notes. The opening uh, if it's available on Hulu. Um, the opening monologue was him and the Muppets, and they did a musical number, and the it was basically about. Um, Jason Siegel starts out a number about how excited he is to host SNL and the Muppets shoot the refrain back at him about how excited they are to be hosting SNL (laughs) (laughs) and it becomes clear that they are under the misapprehension that they are hosting SNL with Jason Siegel and he has to break the news to them in the song (laughs) it's, it's very classic subversive sort of angry Muppets like you know they're very passive aggressively singing back to him how upset they are to hear that they're not the ones hosting SNL it's good the other uh, opening from SNL that I saw that was pretty funny was the one with uh, Steve Buscemi did you uh, see that uh-uh. uh, so the 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 joke was that you know Steve Buscemi is talking about how the fact that he went from being you know a character actor known for playing the creepy guy and now he's the head of a you know now he's the lead in a tv series yes so all these other people who are in the audience who are also characters from movies you know character character types from movies like the uh the woman who's get who's really nervous and gets killed first in a horror movie 
Right. And they're like, what can I do to get my own TV show? <laughs> so <laughs> That's pretty uh, good. That was actually actually pretty funny. I'll, I'll admit that. Well, having digressed into Star Trek and then into Saturday Night Live, I think it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, I think I think we're done here. Yeah, just like Lindsay Lohan, we're done. <laughs> All right, if you want to hear more, tune into cultmoviespodcast.com, where we have a massive 10-episode library for you to listen to. Uh, find me on Twitter as Stomp Tokyo and Scott as Scopi, S-C-O-P-I. Uh, you can read all of our back reviews and stuff at stomptokyo.com. And uh, you can email us at theguys at stomptokyo.com. That's also a good place to send uh, Amazon gift cards and other you know monetary rewards, uh, especially since the email goes to both Scott and me, and then it's a race for which one of us will claim it first. <laughs> uh, we really appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Yeah.